Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. It's so nice to be here with you today. Um, we're also live streaming to Westside and Battersea. So if you turn around to the camera and say hello, 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 Westside, hello, Battersea, Battersea, I'm on the telly. <laughs> Very excited. Um, it's really lovely to be here. Um, as Lauren said, I actually came here first seven, over seven years ago, which is absolutely crazy to think. I was baptized right here. Um, and I remember the day that I was baptized, none of my blood relatives could make it and just feeling, sorry, my sister's there. Yeah, shame on you. Um, and I remember just feeling like, oh my goodness. And just looking around the room and there was lots of people, some I knew and some I didn't. And Jesus just saying to me, this is your family now. And that's been made so true to me in the last seven years. And I'll talk a bit more about that um, as I preach. Um, So let's get into it. Um, I have the pleasure of starting off our series on Ruth. So over the next four weeks, we're going to go chapter by chapter by chapter um, on the story of Ruth. It's an incredible story found in the Old Testament just after Judges. Um, For the time period, it was a very weird time. So you might know the story of Moses and then of Joshua bringing the people into the promised land that was Israel. And then you have this period of judges. It's actually 400 years long of people just constantly going their own way, forgetting what God has done and um, basically leading them to sin, leading them to debauchery, to war, to famine and God raising up um, different judges to come and save them and them having times of peace and being like, thank you, thank you, we believe in you, God, and then forgetting again and the whole cycle beginning. Um, I really recommend you to read Judges. There's amazing stories of Gideon, of Deborah, of Samson, um, and you can really see just the different ways God works through even in terrible times. Um, So I'm going to be preaching on Ruth chapter 1. This is probably the saddest chapter, so sorry if you thought we were going to have a happy, clappy sermon today. It's called A Bitter Journey. Um, Ruth is an amazing woman. She's actually found in the lineage of Jesus. So if you go to the first chapter of Matthew, um, you'll see the genealogy all the way from Abraham to King David to Jesus Christ. And so she is actually one of the great, 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 however many greats, grandmothers of Jesus. And um, I just finished reading a book called The Lineage of Grace, which is about the five women that appear in this genealogy. It's an amazing book. I really recommend it, just going deeper into these names um, and these people. And just it really shows God's heart, how he takes the most unlikely women um, that you would expect to be in Jesus's DNA, and he uses them and upholds them and redeems them for his glory. Um, So getting into the first chapter, as I said, um, everybody in Judges was kind of going through this period of falling away from God. 
Um, and the best phrase from Judges um, that appears again and again and again is, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Um, and this is where we start the chapter of Ruth. Um, so if you can turn your Bibles to Ruth 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it should appear on the screen. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and we'll begin from there. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So as you can see, the story doesn't start as a very happy one. Um, Elimelech leaving the promised land in search of better things. And to be honest, I think um, from our perspective in the West, this makes sense to us. We see on the news constantly, I'm actually an art therapist, I work with refugees, and how common it is that people have to leave their own lands in search of something better. They have to flee from their lands. Um, and that is something that obviously we care deeply about as Christians that we want to be able to provide and give to these people. But Elimelech leaving the promised land wasn't actually um, because he was forced to leave it. In fact, in Deuteronomy 11, God promised the Israelites when they reached the promised land that he will provide for them continuously if they worship him with their, their whole hearts, if they look to him first. Um, and this was a story of famine and Elimelech thinking, I'm not going to look to God, I'm going to look to my own ways, and I've heard there might be food over there, so I'll take my family out of here. And how often do we see this in our own lives against God's calling, where God can call us to do something, and our expectations aren't met, our needs aren't met, bad things happen, and how easy it is to stop trusting him um, and to go against what he might have said to us and say, actually, maybe I should go over here or maybe I should do this. How often do we try and fix it ourselves? And I think in the West, we have this problem where we want to fix everything ourselves because we are so privileged. We just think, oh, well, I know how to do that by myself. I don't need God. I don't ask God. Or I go to the doctor when I'm ill, which there's nothing wrong with. But actually, do we pray as well? Do we expect God to heal us first? Matthew Henry writes... Elimelech's care to provide for his family was not to be blamed, but his removal into the country of Moab could not be justified. Changing our place is seldom mending it. And I think, again, it's just how often we run away from our problems and we think, well, can't be God. If, if it was God, my life would be perfect right now. Um, but that's not how God works. Elimelech... Um, taking things into his own hands didn't end well either. It ended with him, him dying and his two sons dying, leaving Naomi a widow, which was the lowest of the low, and not just a widow, but a widow away from her home country, away from her family. 
And actually, it led to his two sons marrying outside of the Israelite community, which was also considered a sin um, and a rejection from the community. So she was left with nothing. And I think it's really hard sometimes to sit on these verses of what that means, what that looks like. Maybe in, in this room, in Westside, in Battersea, online, Maybe you're going through something really hard right now. Maybe a loved one has died. Maybe you're going through horrific divorce. Maybe you're going through really painful illness. And maybe you feel alone, just as Naomi did in this point. We can't escape this part of the story. We can't move to the happy ending. So we continue through. So if you can turn to... Um, chapter, sorry, verse 6, chapter 1. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back to you with your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Who could... Become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband tonight and give birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. As they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Just going to get water. So when I first read this and kind of dissected this story, um, I want to tell you first how I humanly interpreted it um, and then how I searched for a deeper theological meaning. And I think this is really important to remember when we're reading the Bible. It's so often that we can just open the Bible and interpret it through our own eyes. Um, And it's amazing, and God is gracious, and the Holy Spirit works, and it's real, and God can speak to us like that. But sometimes we might miss the deeper theological meaning that's actually more important, um, and there's something, a message that Jesus wants to show to us. So I really recommend you getting into a home group, Um, doing the Bible study with friends and really taking time to go through um, chapters of the Bible and get that deeper meaning because it's amazing when you do and it's really um, precious. So really encourage you to read your Bible with that. But I'm going to start where I started, which is how probably most of us start, just opening the Bible and reading. And for my own context, um, in my own understanding, I really want you to understand where I'm coming from, where I was coming from while reading this passage um honestly I can say I I turned 39 last month um and the last year has been the most difficult painful year of my life and I really resonated with Naomi of 
Suddenly, my hopes, my dreams, my expectations for what God had for me being taken from underneath my feet, for being left alone, not being able to understand where God's redemption is or what what God meant in this time. Obviously, as a privileged white woman, I'm not Naomi, and Naomi had it a lot worse off than me. Um, She was on her own. She was out in, in the sticks Whereas I'm blessed to have, like I said, a family here, a a real family and a home to live and an amazing job. Um, So I don't take that privilege for granted. But reading this passage, it really struck me um, when Naomi told everyone to return home so she could go out alone. There's a good chance if she went out alone, she would probably um, not make it. The journey was long and hard. Um, There's a good chance that she could have been mugged or much worse. Um, And still she wanted to go. And then you see Ruth clinging to her. And that's something that I can feel has been really present in my time of grief, um, of people clinging to me. I realized um, that most people that have reached out to me that love me are from this site, my friends, my family, from Westside, from Battersea, and without them, I would be all alone. And that was quite a shock to think about how important it is to have our church, have our community. And I remember Viv doing a talk um, at the beginning of the year about bitterness and about how easy it is to isolate ourselves and sow seeds of bitterness. And she talked about what seeds we would like to sow And this is really important because God uses the seeds from our life that we sowed years ago that we might not realize when they're going to come to fruition. And this really happened to me when I joined this church. I decided to serve. I think I was laying out chairs or something. And I did that for a year or so. And then Viv and Steve asked me to a home group. They asked me to be a site pastor. We started the launch team with Chris and an amazing team of other people. And I thought, just by sowing that seed, just by saying yes to serving, I suddenly had these people that would do anything for me, that would turn up at my house, pray for me for literally three hours, wash my feet, send me care packages, send me texts. Even when I don't reply and don't reply, still send me texts and say, come, come to us, invite us around, pray with me, cry with me, get angry with me, see me at my very, very, very worst. Um, that is a real hesed love, and that's what we see in the book of Ruth. We see that with Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. The fact that they were not from her tribe, that they were not um, really, you know, it would have been very frowned upon in the times, but she still treated them with love. You can see Ruth clinging to her as a sign of love. Um, And just how important that kindness is. She could have easily said, do you know what? You're not Israelites. I don't want you near my boys. They could have had a very different relationship. But those seeds that she had sown meant that her daughters-in-law loved her so much they were willing to leave their own families to travel with her. But that wasn't enough. And this is where I said I went deeper theologically um, to see what the meaning of this... I really recommend getting a commentary. I've got the Matthew Henry one, which is great. Um, And... Actually, there needs to be a deeper calling for Ruth. As you see, Orpah left. She realized she couldn't go that bit further for that deeper calling. She realized that that calling might lead to death. She could go back 
with Naomi. She could die on the journey. She could die when she gets there. She would have to convert to Judaism. She would have to keep over 600 precepts. Can you imagine 600 rules just having to learn them? Um, And the chances of her being outcast and rejected or abused were very, very real. Um, And I love, I spoke to Hannah Berner's daughter, who's from the Battersea site. She went to Jordan last year and she got to go to a Moabat town and they had a model of what Ruth would look like. And it's really shocking. Did you know that she had a tattoo across her forehead? There's a good chance as a Moabite woman. Can you imagine? Like, even today, I think, if I brought someone home to my parents with a tattoo across their their faces, my parents would be like, what's this about? Can we trust you? Um, And obviously, in this time, it would have been very, very obvious that she was a Moabite woman, that she didn't belong. She wasn't one of the chosen people. Um, So she had to choose to go with Naomi, not just because Naomi's kind to her and she loved her. She had to choose to go because she was willing to trust in Naomi's God. And this calling is really real. Jesus doesn't make light of this calling. If we go to Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And he goes on to say in 9.62, no one puts a hand to the plough and, and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's challenging, right? How does it feel to read those things, to think, oh my goodness, am I really doing this daily? Am I really giving up my life to follow God? Do I, am I really trusting in God? Or am I just going my own way and doing my own thing? So what does Ruth decide at this junction? Let's read from verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And that brings us to the end of the first chapter. Like I said, it would have been a long walk um, from uh, Bethlehem. And people would have remembered her. Bethlehem was a large village. I grew up in a large village. Everybody knows everybody. I remember my mum finding out I had my first cigarette within hours, um, (laughs) much to my disappointment. Um, And everyone would know as she set off with her husband. Imagine, you know, with her two sons being like, see you guys, we're out of here. We're going away from the famine. Do you do you? We'll do us. 
and then coming back with nothing. Um, and like I said, a widow was really the lowest of the low. You couldn't get any lower than this. Um, with nothing to show for herself. Imagine the grief and the trauma of losing your husband and your two sons. It's huge. It's really huge. And that would have shown on her face. And what I love about Naomi is she wasn't going to be, she wasn't going to gloss over this fact. She was calling a spade a spade. The meaning of Naomi is pleasant. It means pleasant. And I imagine... She was a pleasant person, judging by how much her daughters-in-law loved her. Um, so to call herself bitter, to say that's not no longer who I am, I'm bitter. She's, she's really showing that life has been a pile of rats, to be honest. Um, and as a psychotherapist, as I said earlier, you know, I think this is really important. I think it was really good for Naomi to name her feeling, to not shy away from being vulnerable with her people, to, to say it as it is. God has afflicted me. I went away. My husband took me away, and this is what happens. I'm, you know, I'm drinking that cup of affliction right now. There's no way around it. She'd come home empty, poor, a widow, and childless. And although her words were of bitterness and affliction, her actions weren't. I think often when we have feelings of this, it can, it can turn us completely into our personality, into our character. I know there have been times, especially in the last year, where I felt very bitter, where I've isolated myself rather than share or be vulnerable in the community, and how alone and even more hurt I feel and how isolated I feel and then you realize that's not the truth. That's not God's truth. I, I remember walking into Battersea for the first time after a month or so and just being hugged by everyone, people crying, people loving me and thinking, wow, like all these lies I've been believing in my head about who I am because of my own hurt and because of my own crisis is, is a complete and utter lie. And I see it so often with my patients, even children, they'll, they'll believe certain things. They'll say, I'm a bad person. You're not a bad person because something bad happens to you. And I think John Piper really sums this up well um, of our feelings not defining who we are, even in the worst of circumstances. Um, he writes, My feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define the truth. God's word defines the truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens daily in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings. But rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they are in sync with the truth. Our circumstances do not define us, but often crisis reveals character. And we see this in the beginning. We see a man in crisis, in famine, and we see him going his own way and doing what he thinks right, going against what God has told him to do. And dying, sadly, ending up dead. Then we see Ruth and Naomi in crisis, they still chose to go back to the land where God had told them to go. 
they had still chosen, Naomi had chosen to be vulnerable with her community. Her vulnerability showed God's glory in her of who she was. Ruth showed her kindness of going extra mile. She showed her faith and her compassion. And wow, what faith did Ruth have in this very beginning? Still afflicted, but unafraid to follow Jesus. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and just have a few more thoughts to ponder on of where we are today. Are we in a place where maybe we're suffering? Maybe we've been suffering for a long time and God hasn't answered our prayers and we, we don't know why. Maybe we're in a place where we're struggling to know whether to, to go this way or that way and we're looking for guidance from God. Um, and when I was praying this morning, I just got a sense that maybe there's people been suffering from some kind of illness as well that hasn't gone away. Um, and that could be in Battersea or Westside. We'll let um, Kelsey and Chris um, sense that as well. But I just want to pray for us now um, and give thanks to God in this time because bad things happening, suffering happens, but God is good all the time. God is a redeemer. God is a miracle worker. How long are we willing to wait for God to show up and glorify himself before we do our own thing? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers. 